Hello and welcome back to the Zendian. It's been a little while since I've released an episode with a guest, but today I'm really excited to release the episode with Josh Lamaro. Uh, I first met Josh, I'm going to say 2019, on a skillful means retreat, and I was literally blown away by the information about rest and regeneration that he provided to the group. And actually, I distinctly remember Dan Hanabry and Dylan Shiel also being blown away by the information and really questioned the information that they had been presented prior in their profession. And the beautiful thing about that information is, as a whole, it's really simplistic. You know, we're just going back to living organically, respecting our bodies by listening and understanding that we are a part of nature so the rules of the animal kingdom uh, definitely do apply to us so anyway Josh will speak for himself and you know he specializes in osteopathy quantum health um, evolutionary medicine and anti-aging medicine Um, if you'd like to reach out to Josh you can check out his uh, website paleoosteo.com that's probably the best place to reach him so Yeah, sit back, enjoy wherever you are, and see you on the other side. Hello, welcome, uh, Josh. Thanks for meeting me today. I know, unfortunately, it's online, which is a bit grim, but that's sort of what we're restricted to at the moment. But nonetheless, it's great to uh, jam with you. It is, always is. So um, welcome, mate. Thanks, man. I was hoping to sit down in the, the Zen Den, the, the little <laughs> padded room. Yeah, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll <laughs> come, don't worry. <laughs> One day. One day. Um, no, it's good, mate. Obviously, you know, not ideal circumstances, but we've obviously been messaging a fair bit over the last few months about just life in general and I I, um, really appreciate your view on health and the holistic viewpoint on regeneration of the body and I I understand that's your um, sort of forte so if you want to just give us a really quick blurb on on sort of your interests and and where it leads you so I know you're getting these little wormholes (laughs) yeah well, I mean, the start of the start, however, the health is uh, trying to be an osteopath. And um, so we're concerned with the structure and function of the body, essentially, and the fact that those two are interrelated. Um, and within that, obviously, comes sitting down with clients, dealing with all kinds of different stories that got them into the health situation they're in. And a lot of them were um, outside of just their structure and function. So they came down to their metabolic health or the way their hormones are acting or whatever. And um, so I was doing a lot of learning by myself on, on the way things work, self-directed stuff, because I think that's, that's often the best way to go. You can seek out pioneers and seek out the texts that you want to read and sort of put your energy into um, reading the things that jam with your experience rather than just um, conceptual stuff. And um, so I started learning a fair bit and I, I got into um, a course to, it was a Australasian College of Anti-Aging Medicine, which was like a functional medicine group, a private university essentially. And um, 
did their course and became certified and that sort of confirmed a lot of the stuff I was already looking at. But um, through the anti-aging stuff, I mean, most of the uh, tenets of anti-aging are that you need to um, uh, recover as much as you need to expend, obviously, because if you're expending more than you've got, just like a bank account, the bank account runs out. Um, but in the, you know, the, the analogy in anti-aging medicine is you run out of years in life or life in years if you expend it all too quickly and, and don't recover. So um, it's almost like, well, even going back further than studying osteopathy, I was I always wanted to be an artist. And one of the, the major, um, <clears throat> I guess, concepts in art in terms of the, the philosophy is that contrast is, is one of the biggest um, tools in your box. If you can create contrast, you can create drama and so forth. But I, I was saying that there was a, um, there's not a lot of contrast between go time and slow time, as so I explained it to you when we last spoke. So... Um, go time might be exercise or you're working or you're you know expending energy on something but we need to actually put the system down to, to let that recuperate itself and change and make ad adequate cellular responses to the stresses that they're giving it or we won't improve and we'll actually just wind up chewing up resources rather than um, you know using up the necessary resources and then improving the cells to be more efficient at using what little resources we may have um, you know, it's, it's all like a trade-off. It's like night and day um, have, have to almost match one another like they do in nature. And so um, one of the major philosophies in the way I practice now is to almost sort of um, do an audit on your life and find out where, how much you're expending and in how many different facets of life, whether that be exercise, um, relationships, work, anything else, they're always taking your energy to do that. It's just we need to expend energy to get anything done. And so uh, we also need to then have a look at how we're recuperating that system and rebuilding after the expenditure. So you got a shopping spree, you got to go back home, you got to go back to work and start saving. And if you want to do that again, if you're more conservative with your money, it might be more of a um, more of a line that it isn't so dramatic. You know, up and down in terms of expenditures, huge. Therefore, saving has to be huge in order to do that again. If you're a bit more conservative, the line might be more like this. I spend a bit, I have to save a little bit. You get where I'm going with that. Mm. Mm. So that, that sort of underpins a lot of what I do now is just finding finding the holes in people's buckets and where they're leaking their energy and where they may not be getting it back. Um, so when, when I talk about recovery or um, rehabilitation in any sense, whether it be physical or metabolic, it, it always includes looking at how we can become more efficient at what we're doing. And that necessarily involves... Um, periods of expenditure and periods of rest I suppose mm -hmm. super interesting man like I think just from my perspective there's always been this the go 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 like using energy emphasis on using energy and expend as much as you can when you're training and whatever it is mm. working on but then there is no emphasis on rest and recovery how do I get back to not necessarily where I was before, but even past it? Like you can't mirror yesterday's efforts if there's no rest and recovery. So there's almost yeah. been like a massive gap for probably the best part of 10 years during my teens of training hard or studying hard, whatever it was, or maybe not much studying, but you get the drift. Um, yeah. But then there's no, there's no rehab. So how can you keep going for 20, 30, 40 years? You know, you, you're going to burn out sooner rather than later. And in the sporting field, obviously that requires to injuries, but in a more sort of practical sense, it's sort of mental focus during the day or clarity of mind, if you will, 
that sort of leads to poor decisions in your everyday life. So pretty crucial um, replenishing the body, you know, proper hydration, good sunlight, um, good nutri nutritious food, all things that um, we'll delve into. You know, when you see people, what are the pretty much the first things that you that you sort of tick off? Well, exactly that. Everyone's doing more than they're recuperating. And uh, most people want to know what else they can add to their life to get better rather than what can I subtract from this shitstorm of things happening to get better. So everyone wants to add more. Um, for example, you know, you might treat like a banking executive who flies, not, not at the moment, obviously, but flies maybe four times a week in the state, stays in a hotel, stays up to all hours, um, you know, schmoozing with the clients, for example, on the wines all night, eating crap sleeps in a hotel bed that's not his own bed, probably with EMF and fake light and all these other stimuli around them, just to get up in the morning and do it again. And they wonder why they feel tired and ask me if CrossFit will be good for them. Should I, should I do CrossFit? Will that make me? It's like, no, you actually just need to do nothing. <laughs> you don't do much already. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, about 10 years ago, this book um, by a doctor, his name was Doug McGuff, just on the training that you mentioned before. And he wrote this book called Body by Science, um, was not really aligned with the stuff that I'm, in, that I'm into, which is how I met you. It was a load paradigm book for building a metabolically efficient <clears throat> body through building muscle mass. But he had this technique called super slow, which was like extreme amounts of weight, but done extremely slowly in the concentric phase, like the pushing of, of the weight, and then even slower on the eccentric phase, like letting it back down again something like a minute and a half up, a minute and a half down. And I think they only did one or two reps per exercise, but extremely hard to do. He said his major sort of philosophy was if you are pushing the body to the point it reaches exhaustion, it takes seven to 10 days for those cells to actually re-engineer themselves to be better. Wow. Right. So that when you come back again, you'll do more weight, but you've trained once every 10 days. Wow. And so... That was when I started thinking, hey, that, that's true. Like most people say, you know, I go to the gym six days a week and then I have Sundays and rest day. And you think, well, you barely even, if we think about stresses on the body like training can be in that, in that paradigm, particularly when you're pushing load and exhausting the body, I see it a little bit like a ladder where you're on rung one and you want to get to rung two or three. So you want to improve your strength. Um, so you have to basically smash yourself until you're down to like run zero, like you're back on the floor, and then you gradually start escalating back up as you recover until hopefully if you've given the cells enough time, you're on run two, which means you've improved by giving the cells a hormetic stress and they've responded to that. So they've said, shit, that was fucking hard. Like if, we, if we have to come across this stress again, we need to be better. Mm. And so to self improve their energetic capacity and they improve the way that they can fire and so forth if the train is sophisticated enough. Um, but what happens when we're doing it every day is like you barely get back up to number one and you go back on the floor again. So yeah. it's like this constant spinning of the wheels in an exhaustive phase uh, before you've even improved. So McGuff had all the metabolic science behind it. It was an MD and a PhD and everything. And he was saying, yeah, seven to 10 days is the bare minimum for reaching a plateau that's higher than where you were before. Um, and no one does it. So that's one example of people who weight train, uh, but it applies to everything. Like it, it applies to any time demands exceed resources in the body. So it's not just the metabolic resources in the muscles, but it actually applies to like the mental exhaustion, 
um, the eye strain, you know, if, you, if you're just looking at bright lights all day, when does the eye get to actually shut down, rest, regenerate itself? It has been thrashed by a stimuli. Um, a lot of people will stay up until midnight looking at a screen, wake up at five, you know, because some motivational speaker said the 5 a.m. crew are the, are the winners or something like that. So it's just this constant, like, pushing the body to an extreme and wearing it like a badge of honour rather than honouring the fact that if you go up, you must come down. Like, it's one of the first things I learned as a kid, what goes up must come down. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you don't put it down yourself when, when it's supposed to go down, the body will make you do it. Yeah. Um, we kind of refer to that as chronic fatigue, I suppose. It's like, yeah. Um, I'm putting you to bed for three years because you didn't put me to bed for three years worth of time. <laughs> and eventually you're going to need it. It's just, yeah. it's just people yeah. economic. Do you mind? You, you touched on uh, light and obviously blue light at night and, and in the mornings, obviously terrible for the eyes. But in general, um, the effects on our circadian rhythm um, and, and sort of compare that with natural red light? So the, the real light that we're supposed to be in tune with is sunlight and it's full spectrum. So it's everything from ultraviolet all the way to infrared. Um, and that's why it gives you that sort of golden glow, if you like, like it's the perfect balance of all the spectra. Now that spectra does shift between morning light and evening light. Uh, morning light tends to be more skewed towards blue, which is excitatory for the brain. So it's a short wavelength um, light. Um, and then the longer wavelengths like the red tend to be more prominent in the evening. Now, the way I see the light spectra is uh, one, um, short wavelengths are excitatory and long wavelengths are calm. So um, I talk a lot in terms of like music when I talk about this because I look at waveforms a lot because I write music in my spare time. But if something's really piercing, the waveform of the way that sound works and a waveform that you see on the, TV, on the computer screen is basically a sine wave or different shapes depending on the tone of the music. But what it represents is how fast a speaker is pushing out and then returning backward. So how fast the speaker is oscillating and that's what sets up waves that travel through the air that you can hear. So a very, very fast speaker uh, motion, which you need smaller speakers to do, is ear-piercingly high pitch, which we can all agree is exhausting. And a low backward and forward in the speaker is, you can pretty much listen to it all day. It's about the sound of a heartbeat, something like that. Um, doesn't really tie the ears out. Now, light's kind of the same. Um, in the morning, we're more skewed towards blue at sunrise. The sunrise, everybody knows if you go out and look at it, it wakes you up. Um, or even sit yourself in it without looking directly at it. It's like, well, I'm awake straight away. Um, versus at nighttime when it's going down, it tends to be more that they refer to it as golden hour. If you're going, if you're a photographer, you go out at, you know, between 5 and 7 p.m., it's golden hour. And that's when you get the nicest um, warm tones of light. So it's almost signaling to the body, this is the time to start peeling down and going into relaxation mode. So the circadian rhythm has a start and a stop um, point, which determine when our brain believes it's time to start doing metabolic work and when it's time to start tearing it down and um, sending the metabolic work inward into repair. So you can almost see it like the way plants do it. And you, you're a gardener, so you understand, like if you, well, you're using natural light, but if you were to use grow lights, when you put blue light on things, they, they bloom quicker. So they grow very, very fast. So it's almost mm. like blue lights to signal to send energy to the outside for work. 
and red lights the signal to put it back in. Yeah, you know, makes sense. So you, you can actually separate these lights when you grow plants and make them do different things based on, on the spectrum of light that you're shining on it. Um, and it depends on the plant and where it belongs in the environment as well. But um, the fact in the human brain and body is that we, we're sort of born with a 25-hour cycle for all of our um, metabolic happenings. And we need the light spectrum to determine where in the 25-hour cycle we exist. But we make it 24 because that's what someone came up with once upon a time. Um, so you need the sunrise to say it's metabolic go time and the sunset to say it's metabolic slow time. And so what happens is there's a, um, a gland, if you like, or a nucleus in the brain called the SCN. It stands for suprachiasmatic nucleus. It's because it sits above the op optic chiasm, which is where um, the two optic nerves cross. So right behind the brow here. Um, and the SCN basically receives information from light signals. And that determines, it's almost like the, the master clock that everything else references. So it's a timekeeper. And when I was growing up and we all had phones that plugged into the wall, <laughs> there used to be this number you could call, it was, uh, I can't remember the number, star one, two, three, hash, something like that. And you <laughs> pick up the phone and say, the time now is 7.42 p.m. So everyone would reference that and say, well, all right, I'll set my watch to that. So, um, you know, if you set your watch to that and everyone's using that same reference point, we're never going to miss each other if we try and meet up at Flinders Street Station Steps, are we? Because we've got the same time on our watch. So <clears throat> the analogy there is that we're the subservient things to the master timekeeper. In the body, it's the cells and all the cells have their own timing that they need to do things. So just like you might have to go to work at 7 p.m. to do whatever you might be doing for work, but I have to start at 9 a.m. They're our timekeepings that we need, but we still need the master clock to understand what time to leave. So if we have that wrong, we'll miss work. Okay, so the master time is always the master time set by the sunrise and sunset, but we've all got our, our relative jobs that lie somewhere within that. We mm. still need that master time to know when to act. So. Um, what I'm getting at here is certain cells um, are meant to work at nighttime and certain cells are meant to work during the day. It so happens that most of the energy production for the musculoskeletal system is geared towards daytime activity and most of the organs regenerate. They're, they're always doing work, but they regenerate and put their energy inward at nighttime. So um, the Chinese liver clock was always a good one, actually. I don't know how many people, how many listeners might know about it, but it's easy to look up. Um, it shows this, this time, like a clock, like a Western clock, and uh, where certain organs are metabolically active and where they're undergoing repair sequences and where they're undergoing activity. And the classic one that I see a lot in clinic is that the liver is somewhere between 1 and 3 a.m. is when it's supposed to be uh, putting its energy inward and cleansing. So a classic thing in a, in a medical history, if someone says, I can't sleep at night, it's like, what time is it when you wake up all the time? Two, two o'clock, liver's not working. You know, mm. there's something going on with the liver and that's why you cannot keep it in rest. The body has to go, fuck, I can't afford this or I'm off with my timing or whatever. So it could be a circadian problem, could be a toxicity problem, but they lead you to sort of being able to understand where to look and when um, because they're reliable and, and they're referencing something that is supposed to be reliable, which is sun up and sundown. Now, the modern human, I've calculated and made graphs on on how often people see full spectrum sun and it's basically a bee's dick of a day 
like hardly anything that most people see full spectrum sun. So um, it might be I wake up at five o'clock in the morning uh, at this time of the year, so it's dark, and I switch on my lights, which are all LEDs, so they're fake light, they're skewed towards blue. All right, that wakes me up, but I've got a huge chunk of blue as my major first light reference without any of the red, orange, etc. And then, um, you know, I, I walk downstairs and I get in the car. So I've seen a slither of sun before the window blocks it, maybe if the sun's up yet. Going to work under blue light again in front of a computer. You know where I'm going with it. <laughs> if, if you happen to go out for lunch, most people don't sit in the sun. They try and get out of it because the cancer council tells you it's bad for you. And so they sit under shade or they wear sunscreen or, or whatever. So there's none there. Back into work, blue light again. By the time you get home, it's dark again. Blue light, go to bed. Yep. Like, why am I exhausted? Well, you didn't see the other half of, of the signal for your brain. You just didn't see it. So without that stimulus for like calming the body down and putting it back into restful mode, we've, we've basically got like an unbalanced diet of light, which is no different to an unbalanced diet in your food system. Mm. You know, it's like eating nothing but sugar with none of the nutrients to run the show. Um, nothing but anything really it could be you know skewed one way is the real point it's not balanced and um back to the sine wave thing it's like that that's a symbol of balance right it's also why it's the middle part of the yin yang symbol all these sorts of things like what goes up must come down and so if we live in perpetual upness i mean it's any wonder that we all feel exhausted because what we really mm. need is the opposite to balance that out um and so yeah i mean you can use light uh to rehabilitate yourself very very well i mean if you if you're clear with your circadian rhythm many many other processes clear up without changing diet without changing anything else um and that's because it is the primary director of what goes on in the body it's like the, the conductor if you like pretty incredible stuff you touched on so many points there the interesting one was you know when their organs aren't uh in time or in regulation with the c uh, scn then mm. you know the, let's say the liver for instance say like one to three a.m not working correctly is that then mm. causing inflammation or what what's happening when these organs aren't sort of in tune or re regenerating during those times if you think about it like a factory where certain things are supposed to happen at certain times so we open the factory at 8 a.m by nine o'clock, we're supposed to get a delivery. Let's say the factory is making watches, for example. So we're supposed to get a delivery of all the watch parts, <clears throat> um, but everyone's everyone's running on a different time. So the guy who's delivering didn't set his watch to the, the phone thing that I spoke about, and neither did the guy who's meant to meet him at the door, and neither did the manager. So they've all got different ideas on what's what the current time is. So you're the guy who's got to meet the truck who's arriving with the parts at the gate, your time's lagging so you think it's still 10 to 9 he's already there he got there early he's been waiting five minutes already he gets the shits and says well fuck it i'm leaving i'll come back later i've got other jobs to do then you get there and you're like where the hell is he he, he hasn't arrived you're on the phone blasting him he's saying i was already there dickhead like where the fuck were you then the boss is getting mad at you you know, it's, it's basically just like molecular chaos if you, if you make it into the way the cells are communicating with one another because they need nanoscopic precision to operate the way they're supposed to. Mm. And when they don't operate the way they're supposed to and things start missing one another, you can basically see that as chaos and chaos is inflammatory. 
So it's almost like you lose the coherence in the way that the charge is traveling through the body. Um, you can almost think of that if I use a light example, like if you draw light waves coming from like a, a torch, like a, just a torch globe, they come out in waves as well. Now one wave might be like this, but the other one's offset from it. So they're all coming out at different times. Now a laser is like coherent light. So they're all actually traveling at, at once. Still light, but the torch can't cut through a piece of wood, but the laser can. So what I'm getting at there is when the body is finely tuned to circadian rhythm, everything's humming in coherence. And people will kind of speak about flow state and so forth, like when the body finally just all, everything just catches up and it's all working together. It's like, shit, everything's just coming off really well. I feel great. I actually think that's the charge channeling through the body in coherence. Mm. And when we're inflamed or we're out of sync with what we are, which is a part of this natural system, that's why the, the sun is our reference point, um, things just flow better. Things are more coherent. And so when you've got coherence, you don't have leakage. When you don't have leakage, you don't have anything that needs mopping up. So you don't have inflammatory exudates and you don't have, you know, free radicals and so forth. It's like every little piece of water that's meant to travel down a pipe gets to the other end without leaking out anywhere. Yeah. Um, if that if that makes any sense, it's kind yeah, of how does. I think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, you touched on the, in short, light diet. Um, you know, for most of Victoria, we've obviously been in lockdown mm. for God knows how long now. For somebody who's working from home, you know, mm. on the computer and whatnot, and you know, not not spending too much time outside, how do you increase that red light, which in turn will affect the circadian rhythm positively, increasing sleep and that regeneration time? I know it's a bit of a slippery slope, but you know, it's it starts in small things like you know, personally, I don't sleep with my phone in my room at night anymore like don't need to be looking at it the last thing i see it during the day and then the first thing in the morning oh, like anytime blue light can be avoided it should be avoided yeah yeah especially obviously when the sun's gone down so you know what's like sort of someone's average day like how do you increase that that red light well i'll get into how to supplement red light maybe later but because these things cost money it's more like what can we do for free um and so there are many things you can do for free or very cheap. The first thing is to assume that the diet is skewed towards blue excitatory light, which it is if we're living indoors. That's just the fact of the new LED systems that are in everybody's house, which the genius government wanted to change because it'll save you money and power, bill and save power and everything, but it's absolutely killing people. Um, I have a bunch of different light meters because um, I have a company that make red light therapy products and I like the testings. And the majority of things in the modern world are having extreme spikes in the blue uh, frequencies, um, including the standard LEDs that are fitted in just about everyone's house. Um, and even the globes that are screwed into lamps nowadays are very rarely the old ones with the little wire, which gives a very natural um, charge glow, almost like someone. Um, they're very, very um, cool, if you like, so blue. Um, having a look at these globes, first of all, and look at the sort of light environment that you've got in the house, particularly once the sun goes down, yeah. but even more so um, during the day. I mean, if you've got a window, go closer to the window. The window's still blocking some of what's natural, but it's way closer than just sitting under LEDs with blinds shut, for example. Um, so uh, then as it comes to nighttime, what you're wanting to look at is um, the balance still, making things more dim, first of all, 
but certainly skewing it more towards the red and orange and um, so looking at those old school globes that have the little wire inside is a good idea. They're quite hard to find now, but you can find them online, changing all of your lamps to those sorts of globes so that it's more warm. And I bought, house, bought a bunch it. from uh, Kmart. They, Kmart and Target oh, yeah, still stock them. They're like, I don't know, eight oh, bucks good. or something. And like my room yeah. and downstairs and whatnot for those globes. Hmm. And mate, you can feel the difference. Honestly, I walk into my yeah. room, it's like, like chilling out tight. Walk into yeah. like my sister's lights with the bloody fluorescent ones that are downward facing. I'm like, this is like a surgery in here. I can't deal with it. It is. A, it's like a supermarket. Like when you, if you're yeah. outside at night and you think, oh, I need milk, you go in and buy it. Holy shit, I'm awake now. Like, how <laughs> am I going to get to sleep? It's fully stimulatory. So, yeah. I mean, that needs to be changed for everybody. There's no, no questions asked. It has to be changed. You know, if you've got some sort of, um, downlight system and you don't use lamps and you simply cannot change them there are solutions um, like you've been in my lounge room there's the ruby lift film that i've yep. cut out and put over the downlights which is a it's a printing medium it's basically like a very thick red cellophane um, and that acts like a filter so my, my lights upstairs are more red eventually they do get bleached by the, the high power light that's coming through it um, but it's better than say walking around and getting killed all the time. Yeah. Um, other things are things like blue blocking glasses. Most people have seen nowadays. There's a shit ton of companies out there who are purporting to have blue blocking glasses because you know they've gotten onto the fact that it's important. But what they're making aren't blue blocking glasses. So a lot of companies are calling um, glasses like what I've got on right now. They've got an anti-reflective coating on them, um, blue blocking. But you cannot block blue unless the orange tinted. Or at least yellow tinted. Oh, right. So anytime yeah. you see clear glasses, they won't be blue blocking. They may reduce eye strain by letting less power of that light through, but they're not cutting out the spectrum, which is what the important thing is. So um, I, I don't think I'll mention names, but I've tested a bunch of Australian companies, um, and I have videos of testing their claims with meters, and they do not block blue light at all. Um, so you know, don't be fooled. But you got to you got to go to the right sources. But some of the best ones are made by um, safety glasses companies like Uvex that make you know glasses for tradespeople. Um, they have one called the Skyper, which adequately blocks blue, um, basically rounds everything off um, somewhere around the orange and yellow frequencies. So you're safe if you wear them at nighttime if you can't change the light situation. Mm. But it also should be noted that your skin is also a photosensor. So um, your SCN can get information from the skin as well. It's not; it doesn't get as powerful a signal as it does through the eye, but it does get a signal. So um, you know, it's almost—it almost sounds insane to a lot of people that this actually happens. But you know, if you can't change it, long sleeve shirt and long sleeve pants at home, like it really can change things that drastically. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. the eyes are the most important, but you've got to consider the other photosensors. So for me, oh. it's almost like kill it at the source rather than where it's hitting the body because you can't cover everything. Well, um, we forget the skin's just another organ. It's absorbing everything just as our mouth, our eyes are. Um, and, you know, I've spoken about sort of chemical usage in some of the other podcasts, especially with Kirsten. And I'm... Hmm. My, my, my facts might be a few off here, but women are exposed to approximately 180 chemicals a day and men yeah. approximately seven chemicals. The house. You know, it's insane what you're putting on your skin here. Like if we're looking at a holistic approach in life, not just health, like that's just ridiculous. 180 chemicals. Like, 
Fuck me. I mean, the, the toxicology element of the anti-aging medicine course is like, yeah, 176 endocrine-disrupting chemicals before they leave the house. And everyone goes, how can there be 176? I only use shampoo and face cream and, and this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, look at the ingredients. Each one of them has like 56 things that are not made for human consumption. So if you're not going to eat it, you should definitely not rub it into your skin either. Yeah, it is a porous in and out machine. That's what it's for. And um, particularly after showering where you get hot and then all the pores open and then people are just rubbing stuff into the skin. I mean, you just, you might as well mainline and just snort the shit. <laughs> it is going to get in there and it is going to have a detrimental effect. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing with light. Like we're, we're attuned to different frequencies and different frequencies have different roles within the body. Um, mm. You know, UV makes vitamin D and it makes melanin. You know, melanin's your, your tan chemical. Mm. which is basically like a um, attenuator of how much light can get in. So it's saying we need to absorb a certain amount of UV light. And once you start seeing enough consistently, your skin will go darker to say, hang on, this amount of sun is too much for this body now, so we can actually pair it back a little bit. So the Cancer Council saying there's no such thing as a healthy tan is basically dead wrong because a healthy tan looks good to our eyes. I don't mean leathery type when you have a bit of color, it looks appealing because it symbolizes health. Like it's all in the natural or natural order of things. The pasty person does not look attractive as, as the person who's got a bit of color. And what it's telling you is this person has all the necessary things for life and therefore you might want to make with them. It's, it's all in the design, you know? So mm. we need to kind of honor um, that we came out of the world and we're a product of it. We weren't dropped here from outer space or something. We've got to make our way around. It's like everything's here and we're made of it. And you know, when we honor what we're made of, we, we do better, simply put. But we've got to stack it against the fact that we do very many things that are not natural at the same time. So it's like, is nature always good? No, I mean, nature can kill you. The snake can bite you and kill you. I mean, not everything natural is good, but there are certain things that we know are healthful and when we honor that, we, we tend to be able to turn things around pretty quick without um, the need for supplemental, this, that, and the other, and definitely without the need for pharmacological intervention. It's just not required most of the time. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the guys, one of the lecturers at the anti-aging conference has said, uh, he's been practicing medicine 46 years, and only in the last six years since he's gotten into this integrated approach has he realized Western medicine is fucking hopeless at making people healthy, but it's very good at not allowing them to die. <laughs> 46 years of experience. And it's like, you don't make health from poison. You just don't. Yeah. Like you, you need these people if you fall off the roof and chop your arm off on a saw or something like that. You, you need that. But you do not need chemicals in your body to make it healthy. It just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's well, there's got to be a acceptance that both of these together are you know great you, oh. exactly and if you go to if you if you're living in like in the east and you have a doctor and you get sick you, you fire him pretty much you know right. if you're in the yeah. west you go to your doctor when you're sick that's the biggest yeah. difference we're looking at sort of root causation here and you know we probably met i reckon maybe two years ago something like that now and when i first heard you speak there was like this overload of info and i was just like me like there's so much that i don't actually know about simplistic health strategies that mm. i can implement in my everyday life 
to negate away from you know unhealthy lifestyle and initially you're just like Mark always says you're drinking from a fire hose. Like there's just so much information coming in that you can't grab everything. There's going to be water leakage. But I think it's really important for anybody listening. It's like there are many steps that can be taken in your daily life to prevent being ill rather than waiting to be ill than to be like, fuck, I need to change something. And Yeah. And, you know, what you're saying about there being so much to learn or that's how you felt at the beginning, that they're actually isn't it's just that people like content so if you can speak about a number of different things all at once and they they tend to be able to be wrapped together that's what i think my strength is is that i've sort of i've been able to figure out that there is only one sort of overarching model and it contains all of this material so you know that could be thousands of different topics that i can speak on and my guys going into so much but no i just know the overarching model and therefore it can explain many of these things that are seemingly fragmented and not joined together they actually are it's just that no one's looking at them from a um from one model that seems to encompass all of it and that's why we have specialists for your eyes and my eyes are blurry uh blah blah go to see the optometrist and then if they can't do it, it's the ophthalmologist and then and that's the neurologist because the ophthalmologist couldn't figure it out and then they can't figure it out. So they've got to cut your head open and do a biopsy. It's like, well, why don't we just think about it in terms of like what's happening here? What's the function of the eye? To basically um, read data in, in light and co- codify it in the brain for something. So something must be going on with either the metabolic capacity of the eye to get the signal or something stuck in it, or there's something to do with the wire between the eye and the brain. Um, or the brain's having trouble decoding. And how's the brain function? Well, it metabolizes glucose to make you know energy, but therefore, so you know, these, these things can be very, very simplified, but we want to give everything a fancy name and you know make a specialty for it and everything. And it's like really there's there's a very simple answer for most things. We just got to look holistically rather than zooming in all the time and thinking that the answers are in the minutiae of everything, you know. Like specialties go down the microscope so deep that once they figure that they haven't found what they're looking for, they go, fuck, where do I go now? They go back up and down the microscope again. We can go all the way up and look at the totality of everything and go, all right, where does this fit into the whole system? Mm. Um, but we're obsessed with finding a, a gene that causes some irregularity or a protein that messes up and we need a drug that changes the gene to change the protein. It's like, no, just... The thing's been in this meat set forever. Like, you know, so figure it out if you give it the right shit. Yeah. Um, no, you the doesn't even know what a gene is. <laughs> Can you pr- quickly go over uh, GMO food and pesticide food and the lack of nutrients, vitamins, minerals, um, and then obviously the importance of minerals in our everyday function and, and proper hydration? Yeah, well, you're essentially built of minerals. Um, so minerals get deposited and turned into specialized tissues by way of signals that we get either electromagnetically, which control um, genes. And I'm, I'm even dubious on genes because no one's ever seen them, but <laughs> it's, it's just the way my brain's starting to like lose dogmas that I've learned about. But um, you're basically built of minerals and water. That's what you're made of. Um, behind everything are the table of the elements, which are all the minerals and the atoms that make them up. So um, that plus water plus charge seems to make a body. Um, and this was looked at by a guy called Sidney Fox very early on, who uh, was doing experiments with volcanic rock um, and very primitive protein structures that were built from, say, three minerals. 
when you put them in water and close to volcanic rock, which is an infrared light source, they spontaneously turned into molecules that resembled cells and started respiring. So they came to life, literally. So there's something magical about the elements when they touch water. Um, probably why the sea is full of life. You, know, you, could, you could just go so deep into this sort of stuff, but it's what makes us up and no one can deny it. Um, if you dry your bones out and crush it up, and powder it and then do analysis on it, it'll be like, oh, there's phosphorus in there, there's calcium, and there's magnesium. It's what makes everything up. Um, it's just that it's animated when it's wet, <laughs> essentially. Yep. And um, so, you know, the diet must contain all of the elements that create what we are, or we're going to start to run out of things because the body, by virtue of living, is breaking things down. Um, just like the tires on your car, the more you drive it, the more rubber you lose in the road. Um, and eventually they need replacing, but we've got this beautiful thing called, you know, um, metastability, which is essentially, if I lose one, I make one, I lose one, I make one. And the making of it happens when we're resting. So it's back to what we talked about before. And the losing of them happens when we're under duress or we're performing activities. It's just a normal byproduct of doing stuff is that some cells will not be able to keep up and must be either repaired or taken out. So the way we repair them is we take the, the minerals from the nutrition and the vitamins that come with that, which are basically like uh, signals. They tell the minerals where to go and what to do. Um, and we derive things like enzymes, which can then break down other stuff that we can put into the body. So our enzymes are made of minerals, our tissues are made of minerals, we're made of them, and uh, the diet simply must contain them. And a big issue nowadays is even the the so-called health food, if you want to say, let's say it's fruit and vegetables at the supermarket, something like 81% of them have no minerals in them. <laughs> Literally no minerals. Well, they must have some because they've made a structure, but they're very, very poor compared to the organic, for example. Yeah. And um, one of the major reasons for that is the farming practices utilize glyphosate Roundup-based um, pesticides. And the way that they work is that they are mineral chelators. So they chelate minerals out of broadleaf you know, pest plants, which are just plants that should be part of the symbiotic relationship of how everything grows. Um, and farmers say, we don't want those little broadleaf things there. We only want the broccoli or the whatever else. And so they have to douse their crops with this stuff that chelates all the minerals out of the soil and thus all the bugs and all the broadleaf plants and all the things that they find unsavory, um, which then of course they need to make up for by buying fake versions of <laughs> nitrogen and phosphorus and they buy it in chemical form and put it on the soil. So basically everything that's going through the water system up into those roots is, is full of toxic crap. Um, and it has none of the minerals that you need to repair from being poisoned by toxic crap. So, I mean, right then and there you have the reason everyone's fat, sick and nearly dead is they don't have what makes life. Um, so one of the very first things I get just about every patient in see to do is to take some fulvic minerals or humic minerals, which you would know from gardening. There's one thing that you can add to soil that will never hurt a plant and always make it grow is humus. So that's, that's humic acid um, or fulvic acid, which is basically deep underground mineral sources um, that have everything that we need to make the building blocks of everything above ground. Um, so number one is like, you know, you actually can eat all the sugar you want as long as you have all the minerals from another source to, to make up for the enzymes that will metabolize the sugar. It's like sugar is not the killer, the inability to make use of it to turn it into cellular energy is the problem. 
Um, and if you're flush with all the stuff you need, you can metabolize most anything, um, I think. Now, obviously that also depends on your toxic load and it also depends on your relationships and your stresses and how much you're resting in your life and all the other stuff. But, you know, we're talking about diet now, so that's what I'll talk about. Um, so, you know, obviously some of the other vitamins we need can only be bound to fat sources. So we definitely need some kinds of fats to come into the body to shuttle them. Um, the fat-soluble vitamins are vitamin A, E, D, and K, and they're only really found in animal sources of fat, um, at least in high enough concentrates and in the bioavailable forms that our body wants to suck up and put into tissues. So um, that's required. And obviously we need we need protein sources too that helps build our tissues. Yep. So you're back to balanced diet again, but you, you're back to looking at does it contain the stuff that this cell needs to turn substrate that's incoming into energy? And do I have enough to make the building blocks of my tissues? Mm. Um, and certain tissues require certain minerals and they're all different. That's why they look different and have different structures and so forth. But um, they definitely all have a mineral skeleton that's reliable. Um, I know in Eastern cultures, probably a little bit further east than sort of Greece, like once you get into the, um, into the Middle East there, uh, it was very, very common in the early days. If you had bad eyes, you eat goat's eyes. And if you have a bad thyroid, you eat thyroid. If you have a bad heart, you eat hearts. And um, that was just sort of ancient wisdom, I suppose. But like recently, Harvard have done studies on these things and, and come up with um, what they're calling protomorphogens, which is basically when you eat that stuff. So if I've got a, a bad heart, I'll eat some beef heart. And the signal that comes in through the gut gives me the mineral skeleton template for building a heart. <laughs> so it's like they were right on along. Harvard have now done it and said, oh, we call it protomorphogens. And now we make glandulars. So we make desiccated beef liver and desiccated kidneys and eyes and pineal gland and everything. I got them downstairs. Like I, I use them in the clinic a bit. But um, they fucking work. So there's something there that's saying, I've got the template and the minerals within me to help regenerate what's sick in you. Mm. You know, this was known by the Eastern cultures for fucking millennia. Yeah. That's just what we do. Makes yeah. sense. So there's, there's about 70 minerals, was it? Well, there's 72 that are required to run a cell. Um, yeah. Most people focus on like four, <laughs> calcium, <laughs> magnesium, sodium, and potassium. And they're in all your like electrolyte drinks, but really in the uh, full wheat minerals is 72. There are minerals called uh, yttrium and you know, things that people have never heard of, mm. um, but they and are I, all part of what we're made of as well. Yeah, and I feel like uh, people often get sucked into like, let's just for instance say, like I take some magnesium here and there very irregularly, but like let's say everything is in perfect balance of ratio and if I'm yeah. going to up my magnesium but I haven't up, say, my calcium, then there's going to be like this. That's all wasted. There's no point in me even taking it in because it can't I'll get just wasted. But it also offsets the other one. So it's like a, a seesaw. So it's like, oh, all right, it's wasted, but it's also throwing the whole system out of balance. So we go further and further away from where we want to be until we're lost. It's like, mm. well, what the fuck do I need? It's like, you yeah. need to balance from the <laughs> Yeah. And that's, I've never really found, like, I've never really been drawn to any supplements ever because, uh, like, it just it just whacks me out, I reckon. The only thing that I do yeah. take is um, COQ10, um, hmm. which is, like, it's been pretty good. But, again, I take that irregularly. It's not like every morning, wake up, take it. It's just like, take two hmm. here. I won't take any the next day. Um, hmm. And was it... Uh, 
<laughs> Clam's really high in CoQ10. Clam? Clam, <laughs> <Clam>, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then was it like 12 vitamins and eight amino acids as well? Yeah, I think it was eight to, eight to 10 or 12 amino acids, depending on who you read. But um, they're found in protein sources usually. Yeah. Uh, certain things are higher in some than others. You know, I think it's all um, obviously their structure and how they appear and how they taste and whatnot's determined by the ratios. So, like tr tr chicken's really high in, say, tryptophan and things like that, whereas other other meats on the other spectrum in the more deep red colors are sort of higher in some of the other ones. And then the fatty cuts that include some collagen and whatnot, they have all the glycine. So, um, I think that. The uh, return, or well, not the return, the actual the pushing everyone towards lean meat did them a big disservice in terms of the stress mechanisms in the body. Because um, without the glycine to um, counteract the uh, tryptophan and so forth, it's like you start to tend towards that um, anxious, agitated state because you're making more of those neurochemicals based on what's coming in and you don't have enough to make the calming neurochemicals that offset them. So again, it's like, well, you, why would you selectively just take the chicken breast, for example? Like if you watch a, a true carnivore animal, they don't they leave that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they the, the organs and the rump and the inside of the hips where all the collagen is and the neck, and then they leave all the breast and all the lean stuff. Yeah, it's, it's useless. <laughs> and I don't know nothing about nutrition, you know what I mean? It's like this is just what they're drawn to because it's where the goodness is, it's where the most rounded um, packet of all the good stuff is. Mm. And you look at traditional cultures and how they cook, and it's what they use. It's like it's always what they use. Mm, mm, mm. Well, you know, a, a lamb shoulder is is fattier than say like a lamb backstrap. You know, like a lamb shoulder just feeds the village and everyone's happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so a. Um, that just reminded me. There's a traditional Greek soup that you have in Easter. It's called um, batsa, and it's pretty much just all the organs of the animal, usually a mm. lamb. Um, and that's all it is. Just every organ put into soup, cooked over probably two to three days, just really slow cooked. Um, right. And that's what everyone eats. But obviously everyone gets grossed out by it because they like the smell or because they know it's organs. But like, it's the healthiest thing that you can eat. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to be addicted to pate. Yep. And so much so that like when I was a kinder, um, they had one of those days where you got to like bring a plate of like sweets or whatever. You know, everyone brings something and people bring sausage rolls and jelly, pink cakes and crap. And my mum was like, my dad was a really good cook. My mum was fucking hopeless. And she's like, oh God, I have to, you know, find a baking recipe. What do you want to take? And I said, I want to take olives, crackers and pate. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, that I can do. <laughs> but, I was addicted to the shit till I was about seven and one of my uncles, one of my uh, mum's brothers came and I was eating it and he was dipping a biscuit in it and he goes to me, ah, oh, yum, chicken guts. <laughs> and I was like, is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> I just knew it was the good shit. And then <laughs> I never wanted to eat that again for like three more years. <laughs> But it's true. It's like the, as yeah. soon as the stigma comes in that it's something yeah. other than just delicious, good shit. Yeah, yeah. Kids yeah. Mm -hmm. and adults. Um, negatively yeah. charged food, because um, you know we've obviously spoken in prior conversations about 
the charge in the body and what positive charge does the body versus negative charge and working with inflammation and how to, you know, replenish the body in total. And, and obviously you can find some of that in food as well. Um, if you mm. wanted to unpack that, that'd be fantastic. Well, if you, if you talk about charge in the actual thing, it's, it's basically a pH game. This pH is um, represented by how many protons you have versus how many electrons essentially, or how much negative charge so um if you become more positively charged it's, it's more acidic so um and if you're more negatively charged it's more basic or alkaline um now we're an acid forming creature like the stomach acid is a ph of somewhere between zero and 1.5 ph which is extremely acidic but that can dissolve a body um, like in the gangster movies where they use hydrochloric acid to dissolve someone after they cut them up, we make hydrochloric acid in the stomach. So the job of an acid though is to attract electrons. So um, if you have something extremely acidic, the reason it breaks something down is it pulls electrons out of the thing and then it, it undermines the structure of the thing so it dissolves. Um, so that's how we work. That's how we attract electrons to shuttle through the cells, through the electron transport chain in the mitochondria, which eventually makes ATP, which most people see as cellular energy. Um, we see it more now through the work of Gilbert Ling and, and uh, Gerald Pollack and these guys that it's actually more of a, it's not really like an engine house, like a combustion engine. It's more like it, as these electrons get assimilated into things, they unfold proteins. I think of it like a fern sort of coming out of that wrapped up state and into an open state so that they can bind more water. And, and once water's touching everything, that's the real charge channel. So that's what's making energy flow through the body is the water touching the proteins. So whenever charge stops, so if you have a, a lack of movement of electrons through a circuit, you get a positive charge buildup. So I think positive charge as it happens in the body is more it's not sort of like an overwhelming amount of positively charged ions, it's just a lack of charge happening. So I don't sort of see so much of like, uh, you know, I mean, an orange would be quite acidic or a lemon, but no one's, you're not gonna stop eating a lemon because it's good. <laughs> so it's more like we can make use of all these things, but I think they fulfill different roles in the body. Um, ultimately, you're wanting to shuttle electrons through your electron transport chain via these various carriers. Um, you know, NAD and ADH shuttling through the mitochondria in order to unfold proteins. But um, the body has so many buffers that it sort of looks after itself there. Like it, it knows what to do with different charges. Um, as long as the circadian rhythm's right, we're well hydrated, we're not eating toxic food. So I don't really see positive and negatively charged food as a, a real big deal anymore um, because it just doesn't seem to make sense in that electrical um, charge channeling model. Yeah, Interesting. I don't know what much else to say about it, but it's, well, let's go to Greek culture again. If you're going to eat a hell of a lot of fatty stuff, you put lemon with it, right? Because it just aids the digestion, aids the breaking down of this heavy stuff. Um, I, I think, one, you probably got a shit ton of lemons around, but they knew what they were doing with it. It's like, it, it acts like an enzyme. Mm. So we need to have this acidic stuff. Now we make most of it, but in stress people who can't make it anymore, they need to supplement it and they're often the ones that crave hot sauce and lemon and you know, acidic or hot things chili and stuff like that i think because it aids their the motility and it also helps break things down so i don't really know where to go with it because i don't sort of subscribe to it now um, no, fair enough yeah. in general 
like EMFing, for instance, sake, electromagnetic fielding, is that something that you subscribe to? Oh, the electromagnetic fields, we're attuned to them. Yeah. Like we, we exist within an electromagnetic field or a charge um, blanket, if you like, probably the ether, right? It's like it's there, it's everywhere, it's electrical connectivity. And I think anyone who thinks that we don't, um, but still believes, you know, or, or realizes that they can stream a 4K cat video straight to their phone out of thin air is probably misled because it happens. No one can see that video coming out of thin air and yet it does. It's invisible until it hits your phone. Our brains are no different and our cells are no different. They are meant to exist in electromagnetic fields that are natural and they're not meant to exist in ones that are foreign. The body will always try and find a way to exist, but it'll come with some expenses at the same time. So um, one of the greatest, um, it was Nora Volko, who was like a researcher in cell phone industry like 15 years ago, was saying that like having a cell phone pressed against the head for a minute upregulates glucose metabolism in that part of the brain that's in contact with the field of the phone, which is like a grapefruit size field or bigger. Oh. So what that means is it's stressing those cells and they have a greater need for glucose in order to pay for the stress. So mm. back to that energy expenditure and, you know, depending on what's what the cell's up against. And so a bunch of other guys who looked at electromagnetic radiation after that said the major effect is on um, voltage-gated calcium channels, which means as the voltage in the cell changes, different channels open up to let things in or out because that's what the, the body's going to need to overcome the stress. And so the same, the same things happen in people who are um, stressed from all kinds of things, like if you're diabetic or whatever, and your, your nutrition cannot match what's going on because you can't get stuck into the cell, the voltage-gated calcium channels will open and you might end up with a, a calcific issue in the heart or a kidney stone or something like that. So all these things are dynamic and... Um, Gilbert Ling's really the guy to read on this. He, he really nailed it with his stuff. But it was like the cell determines what comes in and out of it based on its energetic state. So it's like if it's healthy, it leaves all the crap outside and keeps all the good stuff inside. If it's unhealthy, certain things can creep in. So if you lose charge, you attract more crap, basically. Um, it's really interesting. In, yeah, it's, it's interesting in electromagnetics, especially when you look at like Qigong and things like that. Like these guys were always healthy. They're very good at keeping their charge and emanating it to the point that you can push, you know, a bottle off a table that's five feet away. So if you've got that much charge, you're obviously repelling things that are weaker than you. Mm. And you would think toxic things are kind of weaker than things that aren't toxic, wouldn't you? If, if it's a good versus evil story sort of thing. It's almost <laughs> like I'm jamming now, but it's, it's sort of how yeah. I start to think of things almost. Yeah, like yeah. Sense. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, detoxifying, like, you know, not talking about like doing a detox diet or whatnot, but consistently, like we, we obviously want to detoxify. Personally, I'm in the sauna probably on average twice a week, mm. um, wrapped up with I've been craving lately so badly. Uh, Say that again, sorry? I've just been craving the sauna so badly lately just yeah. to sort of pump out some more stuff, you know, through as many routes as possible. But, um, you know, think of the major out routes of the body. They're all the detoxification rubbish shoots. So, like, the poop is obviously the big one. Urine gets used for it as well. Although it also gets used to modulate how much water is in your body 
to maintain um, homeostatic mechanisms based on pressure, like blood pressure and so forth. Um, the ears and the eyes and the nose can also be used and then the skin can be used as well. So um, people who have a lot of acne or a lot of rashes or whatever are oftentimes not excreting um, to optimal capacity through the, the major out routes like the urine and the poop. And so they use the skin next. Mm. Um, we used to notice at university that the lymphatic drainage of the brain sort of um, travels down the neck and into the axilla before it empties back into the, into the circulation. And they cross over somewhere from the brain. So um, it happens sort of back behind the brainstem somewhere. But everyone used to say, ah, oh, do you get a rough sweaty pit during exam times? And everyone said, yeah. And then they'd learn about the lymphatic system and go, oh, the brain's working, so the left brain's working so hard, you know, the analytical brain, that the right pit gets sweaty and sometimes smelly because the, the toxic byproducts of the left brain have to get out. Um, and you're sitting around most of the time studying and not doing any exercise and eating trash most of the time because you're trying to just eat enough to survive this horrendous time where you're up against it. And we all noticed it and then we all figured out what it was. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that's just like the function right before your eyes happening is we do use the system to detoxify. And, um, you'll often see things in the hands and the feet first because they're the furthest away from the brain and heart so the body prioritizes the important stuff and says well i can live without with my feet being sore on my hands or whatever and it happens to be the first place we often see arteries change so as you've got metabolic byproducts accumulating they're going to degrade things um yeah so you know you've got to make sure you're you're regular with the bowel and the bladder and, and everything like that and then sweating is obviously good i actually think one of the major benefits of exercise is actually sweating yeah, for health, yep. it's not so much that it's doing anything metabolically to make you better over time. Um, it can, obviously, it can with the stuff that we met through, uh, because you become more efficient. But, but typically speaking, people will say, "Oh, I didn't go to, I didn't run for three weeks, and I've lost all my fitness." Well, that, that just tells me you didn't train to do anything because the body didn't hang on to its adaptation. It's only existing within a response to stress. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, yeah. I don't know how I even get to that from the detox. And no, yeah, oh, that's right. Sweating. So, like, when you're sweating, you're actually liberating the body of things that are burdening it. Yep. Uh, as well as it being fun and everything else, obviously. Like, I'm not discounting that stuff. No, no, no. I know. Yeah. 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 I think the What's interesting, that... you touched on uh, sort of like getting sick, and we sort of live in this society where we like don't have time to be sick. And, like, you know, you have a mm. runny nose or you, your throat sore or whatnot. It's just like, start jamming yourself with fucking all these pills and whatnot because you sort of want to mask it so then you can keep going to work or keep being social or whatnot. But my, my perspective since I've been uh, catching up with you is that you can embrace being sick. It's, it's your body detoxifying naturally. If I've got a runny nose, well, fucking so be it. If I, you know, if my, yeah. like sometimes I get inflamed like around here, it's like, yeah, sweet. Just like have a bit of ginger, a bit of honey, a bit of salt maybe. That's about it. But if I want to be, if my body needs to be sick for the next two weeks, well, and so be it. Because I remember this analogy that you used. It's like when you start to get sick, it's like you're having your room starting to get a little bit uh, dirty. And um, you have like your auntie or your uncle or your girlfriend, whatever, coming over. So you just bloody kick your clothes under the, under the uh, couch or under your bed or just stuff things under mm -hmm. the dinner or whatnot. Eventually, you're going to run out of room. And when you run out of room, your bedroom's just going to be piled with shit. And then when you get sick, it's going to fucking hit you like a ton of bricks. 
So but enjoy the one. Need to get it out. So you, exactly. need, you need much more manpower, and that would be a fever or something like that. Exactly. Um, yeah, we're cleaning the fucking shit out of you. Like, really, it really will. Like, people, people come into the clinic with, um, you know, um, prostate specific antigen PSAs of, you know, eight, nine, 10. And the doctor's like, yeah, prostate cancer, we've got to send you off for chemo and take it out and put you on estrogen and this, that, and the other. And they'll take some herbs that promote immune activity and do some sauna. And they'll get a fucking fever that might last three, four days. But then when they go for the retest of the PSA, it's like one. Wow. It's like all the junk that's, that's stuck in the body that's pissing it off is actually gone because it was chewed up by the lymphocytes and everything. You, know, you have to put the body on the ground if you're going to do that. You can't afford to still go to work. The reason you get the fever is the ramping up of those metabolic processes deep inside into the deeper structures. But the reason it puts you to bed is there's no energy for anything else. You can't talk on the phone even. You can't even get up to go get water. Someone's got to bring it to you. That's how, yeah. how much of your energy it takes to clean that crap out. But the early natural philosophers and, and natural health people like um, Henry Lindlar and some of the early osteopaths said, you know, if you hijack an acute process in the body, an acute symptom, you will get a chronic problem. So they saw all the acute events as cleansing, uh, cleansing rectifying um, processes, basically. So if you've got an acute sore throat and a cold, that's a cleansing process. You don't stop the cleaning process by taking codrol just to be comfy for three days. Because what will happen is whatever's coming out of your head, that's then shut down by like vasoconstricting everything. And what's trying to come out the nose goes back inside and usually they said to a higher order organ. So if it's coming out through a lower order organ then the body is perceiving that that's of less use to it than the higher order organ. But if you put an end to it, it goes back up and through and back to the higher order stuff. So, um, you know, constantly taking codrol or using antibiotics or whatever, it's just so misguided because it's stopping the process of cleaning up. And since I mentioned antibiotics, we should mention bacteria. They're not, they're not external invaders that come in to hurt you. They're basically products of degrading tissue. So look at your compost heap. Look, it's the most helpful thing in the world for plants to live again by putting it back into the soil. And it's made of degrading plants. And it's full of fungus and bacteria and things that humans would probably call viruses. So like, if we stop that process, what, what it's telling you is bacteria eat things that are less than healthy. You know, bacteria only appear on the log that's been in the dark at the bottom of the rainforest for 10 years. As it starts decomposing, bacteria appear because the bacteria chomp it up and then they, they re, uh, return it back to the soil. It's like, well, humic acid, really, fulvic acid. <laughs> it's mm. part of that natural process. And yet we see the bacteria in the blood and shit, bacteria's not. It's like, yeah, it's chewing up all the toxic crap that's dying because you're in the hospital eating, I don't know, like a fucking butter sandwich and eating jelly every night and under fake light and stressed and on medication you don't need to be on and do you know what I mean like it's if we see the natural order of things it's so obvious that these things show up as a result of disease they don't cause it um you only got to go in the garden and look I mean it's why it's so beautiful what you're doing now it's like you get to see all this stuff in real life in other life forms and it, it is how it happens you know you can't grow fungus in, in blazing sun. You've got to be dank and decomposing and stuff, and then the fungus goes down. Um, but it's not because it, it's living somewhere going, oh, where's the dark place? Where have I got to get to so I can live? It just it emerges out of things that change. So they call it pleomorphic change. It's like cells go from highly organized 
uh, friends who are all cooperating to less or less organize singular cells to then singular molecules, which are the organelles of cells to decomp decomposition. And then the decomposition can reorder itself. Sort of this constant cycle of life, just the way the compost is. So yeah, if you, Lynn last thing was, if you abort acute, you will get chronic, always. Yep. And it's a rule of thumb that I've followed for probably now 10 years in practice and it's fucking true. It's yep. always true. It's just that most people abort these processes every time they happen. So um, maybe I'll tell a story about what happened to me when I was like 17, 18. Is that I used to get, I was born with extreme birth trauma, like I, my head was mangled. Um, basically, my mum's coccyx was like anti-verted or forward-facing rather than just hanging down in the position. And every contraction, she, she heard it ice skating when she was young. Sort of forgot about it because it had healed, but every contraction, my head was like slamming into the coccyx. And like hard contractions because it's like they seem to come out. And so bang, 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 they couldn't get me out. They broke my mum's coccyx off to get me out. And the birth photo is like, it's like I was dropped off a building or something. It's like, wow. you know, that, that bruise that looks yellow, <laughs> it's like yeah. purple and yellow. My head was like this big. And so that was my beginnings. I had febrile seizures for like two years because the brain was obviously traumatized and breaking down and interfering with the brain function. Um, so my mum was pretty smart. She was taking the chiropractors and people like this and feeding me uh, cod liver oil, you know, vitamin A and all this brain stuff. And somehow, I mean, it's fucking amazing that I can do the things I can do today because normally if that happens to you, you're pretty cooked. Maybe sometimes forever. So um, anyways, all through my life, I used to get, if I ever got a cold, I got a chest infection is what the doctor used to say. And by the time I was about 10, I had questions about this infection. It's like, well, why is it always coming to my lungs? Oh, it's just your weakest link and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this doesn't fucking make any sense. Like, you know, one day I've just got a cough, the next day I got green phlegm. Yeah. What's making the green phlegm? Like, I was just so curious as a kid. Like, what's making? What is it? How does a bacteria make phlegm? And we couldn't answer it and shit like that. Like, wow. Doesn't matter. So I was on antibiotics like twice a year because you get a cold twice a year. It's a normal thing to happen. So suppression, 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 suppression. And that probably happened most of my life in my teens. Um, I had explosive acne as a teen, so another out route. And then uh, my mother was seeing this derm dermatologist because she had some skin um, lesions and stuff like that. The dermatologist is now actually in jail for malpractice, not for me, but for heaps of other shit she was doing. Um, and that she was all through the newspapers and everything. She was. Seriously cooked. But anyway, she puts me on Accutane, which is like a fake vitamin A derivative thing, which will stop acne, but it basically stops it by stopping every other hormonal process in your body as well. So it takes where normal vitamin A exists, it replaces it with this analog. So it doesn't do the same thing. It does some of the same things, but not all of them. Anyway, so that made me insanely uh, anxious and nervous because it's a major brain um, lipid vitamin vitamin a so i had sweaty palms all the time i was 16 so some girls say hi josh and i just like sweat my head off and couldn't go mute you know <laughs> the worst time to go through something like that yeah um and so 16 my mum died so massive amounts of stress 17 i remember walking to pe one time and i just had to stop like i was like i stopped against this tree and laid down against the tree i was like i can't walk any further i literally cannot go any further and then i had this extreme back pain over my 
coccyx and sacrum. And I was like, oh, can you, I said to my mate, can you go into the principal's office and call my dad and get him to come get me? I had like four weeks off school with like chronic fatigue and stuff. And the whole while this huge cyst was like building on my sacrum, like the size of a grapefruit. And I remember the doc saying, oh, we call it a talov cyst. They grow on the sacrum. We don't know why. Okay. And I was starting to add up. I know why. My brain's been poisoned by fucking Accutane. And I've had all this shit that's trying to come out, push back inside me the whole time. <laughs> it's just starting to add up. Anyway, so tired, couldn't get out of bed. Three weeks, four weeks. And then one day I woke up in bed and my entire mattress was wet. Like it was as if someone tipped like four buckets of water in, in a mattress, like swimming here. Anyway, the system burst. And I was like, I feel fucking amazing. Like, I got out of bed and I'm like, I'm fixed. And what had happened was all the shit that got pushed back inside of me into the highest order structures like the nervous system, which gave me chronic fatigue, you know, couldn't move, lost control of almost everything, was let out. And I was, I was cured, at least of that amount of toxic mush, which was basically, I think, built since I was born until I was wow. seven. So I came out and I felt great. And I started thinking, well, all these processes actually have a role here. Like they've got a role to play. And um, all that time I was I was playing ice hockey at a pretty competitive level and I had a coach, um, Ian Holmes. He's, he's not alive anymore. He was a Chinese medicine doc. And I just took a massive sort of like liking to him and he really took me under his wing because he could see I was interested in all this stuff. And he was doing it when he trained us, like with the state team, he'd do all this energetic practice and he'd get us to stand in a circle with our limbs apart so that we were open to energy. And he'd shock someone at one one end of the circle and we go at the end of the circle we get the shock and then he'd say everyone close your feet and close your arms but touch shoulders and do it in the first go so it wouldn't travel around the circuit so he'd go then into stance it's like when you want to receive a pass like stand open to the person so that you're like here i am and you'll connect energetically and the pass will hit the stick and all this amazing stuff yeah it's a 16 17 year old it's like this guy's a fucking magician like this is the shit I love it. And so he did his treatment on me one time because uh, my wrist wouldn't work. It was just so fucking painful from stick handling all day at this training camp. And he treated my elbow. He didn't go near my wrist. I'm like, what the hell is this now? It's sorcery. Like, you know, <laughs> so he frictioned the shit out of my elbow and uh, I almost dropped to the ground. I was crying and everything was so sore. And he said, try your wrist. And I'm like, holy shit, it's 100% straight up. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he goes, oh, well, you know, it's just anatomy, mate. These are the these are muscles that control your hand and wrist and you've been overusing them, so they're getting all bound up. We just released them. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. And I was like, like so into like what he was doing. And he goes, if you like this stuff, look up osteopaths. They're the best at it. That's, that's how I became an osteopath. Wow. But it was all after that problem with the fatigue and everything. And just like, yeah, that's why, that's why I was interested in what Ian was doing. Because like, there's a better way to do things. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. The, the, symptom, the symptomatic shit that you were just saying, it's such a big deal. I mean, it's what everyone does. It's what everyone does. Even even if you get a soft tissue injury, everyone puts ice on. It's like the body yeah. is choosing hot, red, and inflamed, and you're putting on ice to shrink it up. Like, this thing knows what it's doing more than your brain does. Like, it's been doing it since before. Oh, true. Rice, oh, true. It's like, yeah. you know, rice didn't exist. Yeah. So why the fuck do we think we know better? Like, it just, it just racks my brain. Like, sure, it sends inflammation off, but what it does is it makes fibrosis and inflammation via, you know, hardening, and it, it can never actually get the job done. 
So you have all these weird contusions and tightnesses and things that add up to big dysfunctions later, all because you just didn't let it go hot and red for three days. <laughs> <laughs> they resolve so much quicker when you do let it do it as well. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Actually, I've made it insane that when I had soft tissue news when I was playing sport, obviously it was the same thing. Whack ice on it straight away. Say it was my hammy. Let's go strengthen your hammy for three weeks. So fucked. But that's just what I did. But it's it was just let, like, just let it heal. Yeah, yeah. And all the all the early osteo stuff was about fluid dynamics more than it was about sort of alignment and adjustment. I mean, obviously that's part of it because if the joints are stacked nicely and, and they're aligned through all their range of motion, then the, the vessels can be as open as possible no matter what you do. But they were largely concerned with fluid dynamics. And some of the early books are, um, you know, osteopathic uh, techniques for home. And it was like, someone's got a cough, this is what you do. If they've got a cold, this is what you do. It wasn't to put an end to it. It was to promote the process and make it go faster. So it'd be like, um, you know, don't put them on a, on a pillow lying on their back if they've got a cough. You want to actually, like, open all of this chest so that the channel's coming up and you can use the mouth as an out route. And so it'd be like banging down the chest to get all the phlegm off and like massaging up this way and then, you know, through the neck and the person would cough up a bunch of shit and then they'd be better. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. And it's so fucking simple. Like, yeah. I just, yeah, it's, um, we need to promote the things that the body's trying to do, not put an end to it. Yeah, exactly um, right. Putting heat on your neck when, you, when you're all clagged up and cold, it's just, it, it opens everything. That's why ginger's good. It's like a... Um, like a peripheral vasodilator. So every every tube that's away from your heart's going to open up. So then all the stuff can travel. Mm -hmm. We were all constricting things and trying to, <laughs> where's it going to end up? It goes back up higher and causes <laughs> issues. Yeah. Uh, very nice, mate. Well, 15, 20 minute chat turned into about an hour and 20 minutes. So I uh, appreciate your time. I know you're a busy yeah, man. These happens days. when you're just interested, you know? Yeah, well, exactly right. You know, we had a general sort of idea before about talking about sort of light diet, but look where it's taken us. So, um, mate, always a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll be able to get you into the Zen Den sooner rather than later. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we can uh, we can have a sauna down there and then uh, kick back, kick back in there. Sounds good, man. Good to talk to you. Likewise, mate. Always is. Righto.